0: side of this world stewardship begins with this perspective on all that i have so in thrive we're going to describe stewardship like this it is faithfully caring for what god has entrusted to me faithfully caring for what god has entrusted to me so to figure that one out, we've got to ask questions like, well, what is it that God has actually entrusted to me individually, to us as a family? What has God entrusted to us as a local church that belongs to Jesus Christ? How can all of those gifts be used properly to meet my needs and to meet the needs of my family and friends and church and community? What is God entrusted and how can I faithfully use all of those things for the sake of the kingdom of God. As I worked through this this week, a a particular image just kind of kept coming to the front for me. Many of you know that I'm a very struggling gardener. Um, Plants see me coming, and they just begin to wilt as soon as I show up. It's it's a lack of hope that they have, really. I think it's their fault. That's a whole other story. But I've thought a lot about what it means the garden and and how it works and i want to use this image as we sort of open up today look at it like this god has created everything possible for that he's created the earth he has created soil he's created the weather the sun the moon and stars the tide everything that makes all of that work god has created the soil god gives us tools and god gives us intelligence and now we get to take all of those things from the soil to the tools to our intelligence, and we can begin to cultivate a garden and make it grow and produce fruit. Now, God's given us all of these things, and it is entirely possible to take our tools and go home and refuse to do with them what God wants us to do. We can neglect the soil, and we can let the, the weeds grow, or we can get to work stewarding what God has given us to produce the kind of fruit that God wants done, that God wants produced. So the biblical model of stewardship really is this fascinating thing. But it does not begin with ownership. Stewardship does not begin with ownership, but it begins with generosity and with responsibility. So generosity, we're going to talk about generosity this morning. And we're going to use this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25, And it's a parable of a wealthy landowner who goes on a trip and leaves his servants in charge of everything that he has over his property. So what is it that they do with his property that he has given to them? What does the landowner expect of all of his servants? And what do they do right and what do they do wrong? We're going to discover that generosity is the correct response to being given something and being given an opportunity. That's the correct response to being given something and being given an opportunity by God. So we're going to talk about generosity. And then we're also going to talk about responsibility. And when we talk about responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ, for the things that He has given us, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of creation, the, the very first moments in which humanity showed up here on earth And we're going to talk about one of the very reasons that we were actually created the way that we were created and put in God's garden. We're going to discover that we have an utterly unique role in God's creation. And that role makes us responsible before God. But it also opens up all kinds of hopeful possibilities if we do it well. It opens up hopeful possibilities if we do it well. So, Genesis chapter 1, and that's where we're going to begin, is with responsibility. Genesis chapter 1, what we're going to read in this chapter is the culmination of the creation account. It comes right at the end of Genesis chapter 1. But the book opens, the Bible opens with these words In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we have these days of creation, and God creates things on the first day and second day, all the way through the fifth day, and he sees. And he calls it good. And we walk through all of this astounding and beautiful language of what it means for God to create. To create out of nothing. As the spirit of God himself hovers over the waters and oversees everything that God creates. And Then in the sixth day we get to God creating human beings. Adam and Eve on that sixth day. Now of everything that God created. Now think of this for a minute. Of everything that God created. From galaxies and stars to neutrinos and electrons, whales and worms, only one thing in all creation has the image of God stamped upon it. And that is humanity. You and me, men and women. The only things in creation have been given the image and the likeness of God. Now this makes our relationship with God unique. We've talked about different aspects of this through our series and Thrive so far. And and when we went through Ephesians, we saw different aspects of this in these really astounding ways. God created us for a relationship with Him, and our sin broke that and continues to break that, but God steps in and begins to reconcile us through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. But He does that with humanity because we have this unique relationship with Him, created in the image and likeness of our Heavenly Father. So our relationship with God is unique, but then it also turns out that our relationship to creation itself is unique, and it makes us responsible ...for how we use our unique emotional and creative and intellectual gifts that come along with how we have been created. We've been given the soil to take care of. We've been given tools, unique tools to us to use for God's purposes. We've been given souls that grow in the image of Jesus Christ and to be used in unique and powerful ways... So let's read this passage about God creating human beings. And let's think it through for a couple of minutes. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The passage goes like this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, Let them have dominion. Let them subdue it. Let them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with themselves and the job that I have given them to do. Now, this language that we read here this morning, it sounds interesting to us. We Sort of our, our interest gets piqued. We wonder, what on earth does this kind of vocabulary mean? And because it's interesting to us, we need to understand What God is doing. If we understand what God is up to here, it helps us understand why we are here. Why we were made the way that we were made by God. And the tools that are at our disposal. From physical tools, emotional, relational, intellectual, creative tools. Why did God give us these things? Now what we just read is traditionally called the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate... Now, at the end of Matthew chapter 25, uh, the very last, or 28, the very last thing that we hear in the Gospel of Matthew is called the Great Commission, where Jesus gathers his disciples around him and he says, Go into all of the earth and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and I am with you even to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. We sang about it this morning. Christ sends us into the world to make disciples of everyone that we see. That's the Great Commission. Well, the Great Commission, in a sense, begins with the cultural mandate when God says, this is why I made you the way I did, this is why I put you on earth, and this is what I want you to do. What we just read actually describes how God gives us responsibility to make something of this world and to make something of ourselves. And this is where the biblical idea of stewardship begins. Creation and human creativity were not meant to just be spent and wasted, but to be used to build and create. We were literally made to make something of ourselves and the world around us. It's an astounding thing when we let it sort of seep in. So this language of dominion and subdue, and I know how those words strike us in our language and in our cultural condition, but this biblically is not language of slavery or destruction or consumption. It's language of building and of creation. That's what God has laid before us, not to destroy and consume, but to build and to create. The Christian philosopher Nancy Percy wrote a wonderful book several years ago, Total Truth. And she talks about this, and she puts it really well in that book. And here's how she describes what we just read. The first phrase, be fruitful and multiply, means to develop the social world, build families, churches, schools, cities, governments, laws. The second phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world plant crops build bridges design computers and compose music this passage is sometimes called the cultural mandate because it tells us that our original purpose was to create cultures build civilizations nothing less that's a big deal that's actually aspirational that's something that god has called us to do we do all of those things as stewards of the gifts that God has given us, and the way that He has made us. So let's dig into this thought here for a couple of seconds. We mentioned here at the beginning of our sermon, responsible stewardship begins with grace. It begins with grace. All we have has been given to us by God, who we are, what we have, in the world that we live in. It's all grace. It's all gift. And we're supposed to respond to it correctly as children of God. So God put these things into our hands, and then we hold them up to the power and the will of God so that God can do with them what only God can do. This is why God put something in my hands, not so that I can grab it and drag it into myself, but so that I can hold it with an open hand up to God and allow Him to use it the way that He designed it to be used. Let's go back to the book of Ephesians for a second. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, here's how the Apostle Paul speaks of the grace that he has been given. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, that's important. Paul recognizes something. I've been given something by Christ. I've been given brand new life by Jesus Christ. I've been called by Jesus Christ. I've been given grace by Jesus Christ. The way Paul talks about how Christ has changed his life is astounding. But it doesn't become for Paul a reason for him to turn himself upon himself. It becomes for Paul a tool now that is used for your sake. God has given me something to be used for. For you. It's awesome. It's awesome. So, responsible stewardship begins with grace. And then, the more we track this concept through Scripture, we discover this as well. Stewardship turns into purpose and meaning. These things that the human soul hunts for, the human soul inevitably hunts for purpose and meaning. And if we don't find it in Christ, if we don't find it in God, if we don't find it in relationship with Christ and with his people, we will find other things to try to fill that void. We will try to find other ideologies and other isms to fill that thing because Christ made us for this. And proper stewardship turns into purpose and meaning in our lives. So we think of finances again quickly. God gives us the finances that we have, all of it, to make good use of it. When we tithe, when we give to the kingdom of God, we actually become a part of what God is up to. We give to a church and we're part of the ministry of the body of Christ. We give to missionaries like those that we had here last week. We give to them what they need and then they travel halfway across the globe and they make use of what we have for the purposes of Christ. So we become stewards, not just consumers, of God's gift when we do it well. And guys, we realize this. There are a lot of broken structures inside of our culture. A lot of them. So what can happen if Christians take their gifts with them and treat them as tools to be used for the kingdom? What if Christians walked into their workplace, walked into their context, walked into their school with whatever gifts and opportunities that God has given them and treat them as tools to be used for the kingdom of God, as people who've been made in the image of God to make something of this world? I was reminded again this week of, um, of a fascinating figure in the middle of the 20th century, a man by the name of Charles Malik. You should look him up sometimes uh, sometime. His story is absolutely fascinating. So Charles Malik is a Lebanese man, a Lebanese philosopher, a Lebanese diplomat in the middle of the 20th century. Charles Malik became the president of the UN. Commission on Human Rights. Charles Malik became the president of the UN General Assembly in 1958. Charles Malik is responsible for the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, written in the middle of the 1950s, I believe. When his son wrote about his father's life, his son said, My father, everywhere he went, no matter the context, carried two books with him all the time his personal journal and his Bible. That's what he carried with him all the time. That's the lens that he used to walk into life as a philosopher, to walk into life as a diplomat for his nation, to walk into what God gave him at the UN, the Declaration of Universal Human Rights. Everywhere he went, his Bible was with him. What if Christians could steward their gifts as things that God has given them? To be used for the purposes of his kingdom. Jesus talks to his disciples like this. In Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 through 16. Probably a familiar passage to many of us. But let's hear it in this context. Jesus says you. Are the salt of the earth. And that's not just. Peter and John. And you know the big 12. (laughs) It's. to everyone who is in the sphere of influence in our lives. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We don't hide what God has given us. We don't reserve it just for spiritual contexts, but we set it up where everyone around us can see it so that it can be used for the good and the glory of God. You see, this becomes meaning, and this becomes purpose, and this becomes the work of the kingdom of God inside of our lives. So we speak of our responsibility to walk into this world and steward the gifts that God has given us, whatever they are. And that responsibility very quickly turns into even the discipline of generosity. What does it mean to engage with generosity ...with the gifts that God has given us. So turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read one of the parables that's here inside of this chapter. And it's the parable of the talents. And it tells the story of a wealthy landowner... ...goes on a journey... ...leaves all of this stuff in the charge of his servants... three in particular. Now... To, to sort of make sense of this parable before we even begin to read it, the man who goes on a journey is, is stand in for God. Right? That's the figure inside of this parable. The servants who have been given stewardship over his estate are you and me. So what is it that the landowner expects? What is it that God expects of us until he returns? So we're going to read a chunk of this parable, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, and let's just hear what Jesus says. And he's speaking of the kingdom of God. For it, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Twice in this passage, we hear this response to the first and then to the second servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. Here I will make you faithful over even more. Now enter into the joy of your master, the joy of your Lord. Now, those two servants took what they had, whether it was a lot or whether it was a little. That's not even necessarily the point of the parable itself. What it is that God had given them, they turned around. They were good stewards of it, and then they brought back even more. They made something of it, so to speak, and bring it back to the master. And the reward that we, the the important reward that they receive from their master is the praise of their master, the acceptance of their master, the entrance into their master's presence. That is what is important about what they receive when the master returns. Now, those are the first two servants, but the third servant buried the talent, just simply left it there. Now, the master will say a little bit later on inside of the parable, at the very least, you should have stuck it in the bank. And even if it gives 0.6% return right now, I would have at least gotten just a little bit back from it. There was at least something small you could have done, but you didn't do any of that. You literally buried what I gave you, and you didn't use it well, you didn't steward it. He was afraid. And fear kept him from using what he had been given and using his opportunity to use it to make something of it for the kingdom of God. So let's repeat this idea and let's dig into it for a second or two. Generosity is the right response for the follower of Jesus Christ when we've been given something by God and been been given an opportunity to use it generosity is the right response for those of us who belong to jesus christ now even as the parable tells it and we just know that this is the case generosity sometimes is a little scary sometimes it's a risk sometimes it's a stretch i'm not sure If I can do that, I need to hang on to this just in case something happens. Or I'm not able to do this with what I have or my resources or my time because I'm worried about what's going to happen. And on and on. Sometimes it is a risk. Sometimes it is a sacrifice inside of our lives to be generous. And yet we're hearing from Jesus Christ, whatever it is God has given you, turn around and use it for the purposes of the kingdom of God. You see, God calls us, again, to open our hands and use our stuff, whatever stuff it is, however much stuff it is, and to open our hands and use our skills, five talents of skill, two talents of skill, whatever it is. He's put those in our hands not to clutch, but to open up and allow Him to use and to be used for the good of the Master. This is the virtue. This is the discipline of generosity, learning how to behave this way with what I've been given. The opposite of generosity, to hold on to the gifts that I've been given, the money that I do have and resources and the things that I have, to clutch and to hold on to them with a closed hand is a vice. It's actually a moral vice as far as Scripture is concerned. Years ago, I heard this fascinating sermon from one of our presidents of an A.G. Bible college, and he was talking about manipulation, and he used this image, and it's really a very provocative image to me. It stuck with me for years and years and years. The word manipulate comes from two Latin root words. It's how it comes to us in the language, and those Latin root words mean to fill the hand. So to manipulate something is to fill it, to stick it in your hand, and to clutch it. So I'm hanging on to something and I will not let it go and I'm going to manipulate the situation. I'm going to make it happen the way that I want to happen. So the discipline of generosity is to do the opposite of what is natural to us in our vice. To take whatever it is that I have and be frightened by what's possible in the future and to clutch. The master says, you need to take what you have and open your hand. My dad used to say this in sermons years ago. I recall it as well. He used to say, generosity is the antidote to greed. You want to get over greed? Start giving stuff away. (laughs) Start giving stuff away, things away, money away. Start giving your time and your skills away. As Paul said, what I've been given by God is now to be used for your sake. Generosity is the antidote to greed. And so we think even specifically of finances here this morning. That is at root what is going on inside of the parable that we read. And it is an incredibly important topic in Scripture about how our hearts work. About how generosity, responsibility, and stewardship work. Our money, the money that I have... All of it is God's gift to me. All of it is God's gift to us. The biblical model for giving often uses this term, first fruits. This is the vocabulary that is used throughout the Old Testament, even makes its way into the New Testament. When when Scripture begins to talk about how you give away what you have, you give away what Scripture calls first fruits fruits. The first thing you give is you give to God. So the image that's often used is right off the top of that paycheck, so to speak. Right off the top, the first thing that I do is I tithe and I give to God and to His work and to His kingdom. And that becomes a reminder to me, that turns my perspective into, if I take it off the top, that I'm teaching myself that everything below that is God's anyway. And He's made me a good steward of everything else. So this is part of the habit of generosity financially. And biblically, guys, it begins with the expectation to give to the work of the church and of the kingdom of God. Tithe and offering and everything that results from it. This language in the Old Testament, it has everything to do with our flocks and our herds and the fruit of our vine. And the money that we stick inside of the storehouse, the first fruits, is given to the work of the Levites and the temple and the cause of worship and taking care of the community around us, so it's intended for the work of the kingdom. One very simple passage of scripture about this comes from Proverbs chapter three verse nine. It just very simply says it like this: Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. The first fruits of all of your produce. So this is the perspective that turns us from ownership to stewardship. A biblical point of view says, I don't own what I have, I'm a steward of what I have. And I'm a steward of this for the good of the kingdom of God. Recognize this as well. And I think something like this is important for us to hear biblically, again, inside of our cultural context. Biblically, the creation of wealth is not an evil. It's not. But we are called to use it wisely and in a way that honors Christ. The use of wealth is what becomes stewardship or greed. Someone who only has, and we put it like this sometimes, guys, because this is the biblical model, somebody who only has two pennies to their name can be just as greedy about those two pennies as someone who has two million dollars to their name. Someone with $2 million for the name can be open and generous and responsible and full of stewardship and still have that. Guys, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of what's going on. inside of our perspective, our heart, our use of the gifts that God has given us. So we open our hands to allow God to use us and our gifts. And Scripture teaches us that on top of that, we proactively engage our neighbor with what we have for the good of the kingdom of God. A very provocative passage of Scripture about this comes from Jeremiah chapter 29. God's people have been taken into exile. They're slaves in the land of Babylon. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God writes them a letter in chapter 29. And he tells them, you're going to be here for a while. So here's what I want you to do. Listen to what God tells his people to do even as exiles in a foreign land. Jeremiah 29 verses 5 through 7. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there now. You get the sense we're going to be here for a while, so we're going to make the best of it. We're going to build the kingdom of God while we're here. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. (laughs) However long you are here, I need you to take everything that you have and seek the welfare of your city. I need you to do what's right for your family. I need you to do what's right with the earth that I have given you. I need you to work for its welfare, I need you to pray for its welfare. Because it's going to mean the good of the kingdom of God for all of us, Jeremiah says. So generosity is the right response for the Christian when we've been given something by God and given an opportunity to use it. And then this is important as well. Generosity is actually good for the soul. Of course a pastor would say that. Generosity is good for the soul. It has been noted over and over. If you read this sort of thing about cultural trends and and, uh, counseling trends and therapeutic trends, uh, social trends in our world today, it's been noted over and over. It's a common reality. We are the wealthiest nation on earth, and we are the most depressed nation on earth. In what feels like this bizarre paradox, the more we accumulate stuff, the more we prescribe anti drugs. That seems odd, unless we understand that things don't take the place of God. But notice, notice this, guys. Notice this is perception for us. This is a teaching moment for us. The human soul was designed to be filled by God and God alone. That's the only thing that will satisfy the human soul's desire for meaning and purpose and hope for the future. And when the human soul denies God that place in its heart, it will inevitably try to fill it with stuff or ideas or people or behavior. And it always falls short. We know instinctively that things don't satisfy us the way God can. There needs to be in the human soul some sense of purpose and meaning and hope and responsibility. But we've noticed this already in what we have read today. God literally made us, designed us to turn ourselves outward and to make something of the world around us. And to take whatever gifts God has given us and say, God has given this to me for you. This is how we were made. And this is how we will thrive as people of God. To make use of our things and gifts for the good of our family and friends and church and community. In fact, this is such a, this is such a, a hardwired reality in the human soul. Research has seen this in really interesting ways. When people give, sometimes even sacrificially give, when they give of their money and resources, when they give of their time and volunteer and things like this, giving is tied to lowering blood pressure. Sounds nice. Giving is tied to lowering depression rates. It's actually tied to lowering stress levels. Giving actually releases a lot of the chemicals in our brain that make us feel better. It's like dopamine being released inside of our brains when we give and we see the results of our giving in other people's lives. This is such a known reality that it's actually been given a name. It's called the helper's high. Isn't that a cool little phrase? It's not surprising to us, though, because God actually hardwired us to act this way, to steward things this way. So giving is actually good for... Generosity is actually good for our souls, And then, guys, I want to return to this thought that we opened up with at the very beginning, and I want to think it through. And this is how it struck me today. This is how it struck me this week. Our stewardship translates into hope for others. When Christians find these ways to, to steward what God has given us, whatever it is, five talents, two talents, one talent, Whatever it is, to to be able to, as the biblical language says, to take dominion over things, to steward things, to be fruitful and multiply as we engage in things, faithful stewardship is actually good for the hope of others as well. It translates into hope for others. It's probably easiest to see this truth when we give financially. We see that it helps others in very intense ways. Even if it's for a short period of time, sometimes that kind of gift is a lifeline to people in a moment of need. So we see it clearly that way. But stewarding our gifts in lives will enrich the lives of others. It's the way God designed things. We live like we are part of the kingdom of God and other people will begin to see the benefit. And here's how this struck me. Faithful stewardship translates into hope for us and for other people. We feel the truth of this profoundly this year. It's unlikely that any of us have expressed it in exactly these terms. But the frustration, the disjointedness of our lives that 2020 has brought in all kinds of different ways... We have felt the truth of this when the truth of this has been in many ways taken away from us. Many of us have had our normal stewardship opportunities either radically changed or just flat out taken away from us. So the pandemic and the lockdowns that ensued and that we still wrestle with as a culture affected us in ways that a lot of people just did not foresee. Work changed radically. A lot of our jobs moved online, but we learned very quickly that online is not the same as in person. How many of you teachers can attest to that being the case right now, right? Online is just not the same. Some of you Lost your jobs. You didn't see that coming. You never thought in all of your life you would have to fill out that application for unemployment from the state. But that's what you had to do. What was normal for you in your daily activity of this is how I use my time for the good of other people. This is how I use my gifts and abilities and intelligence and creativity to pull in a paycheck, to take care of my family, to give to others. All of that has just been disrupted by this world, and it's left us feeling completely different. Jobs quickly. Now, this, this is one thing that just bugged me so much early on. Jobs quickly. Jobs quickly became categorized as essential and non-essential. Now, here's part of why this bugs us. Whose paycheck is non-essential, right? But more than that, whose work of stewarding the gifts that God has given them for the sake of the kingdom of God is non-essential? Now, we understand why that language was used. And I'm not complaining politically, I'm just saying that language became common, and most people got stuck in that pile of non-essential. So we begin to feel like this just isn't right, this is different, this is doing things inside of me I don't quite understand. So it should not surprise us that the further we get into 2020, as all of this keeps moving and changing and evolving, depression rates have just skyrocketed. They were on the rise before all of this, and they've just risen even quicker. Drug addiction rates are on the rise, even more so than they were before the pandemic. Self-reported rates of loneliness are on the rise. They were on the rise before the pandemic, and they have just skyrocketed again since, and suicides. Something that has been rising over the last two or three years to frightening levels has just continued to go up and up and up and up. It's because we know this is not how we were made. We were made to steward our gifts, to employ them, to use them for the good of others, to even be able to use them for the cause of the kingdom of God. We flip this idea on its head and we see it from the other point of view, we show gratitude to those who kept on working, right? Doctors and nurses and first responders, even grocery workers. How many of you early on walked into a grocery store and said, thank you for doing what you're doing? Because we recognize that they were still making use of their time and gift and efforts so that we could put food on the table, so that we could, and on and on and on the story goes. We instinctively know. Because God literally built it into us. We instinctively know that we were made to steward things well. To be generous with what I have. To be responsible before God with everything that I have been given. For the good of my family and for the good of those around me. This struck me as interesting early on in the lockdowns as well, as we actually started to say we can't physically meet as a church, we're going to move online, just everything started to change. But one, one of the other things that began to happen was fascinating. Many of you changed the way that you gave. You saw a need to continue to give to the church and to give to other missions, organizations, and so forth. So you moved from the physical check or from cash, and you moved online. Many of you actually started to give more to the church, seeing even more need for that. Guys, I am in contact with a lot of pastors about what's going on in 2020, and a lot of pastors' churches are in significant financial trouble this week because everything just fell off the edge of the map. Their budget's a fraction of what it used to be. Living Hope Church is up almost 20%. Okay? I want to brag on you guys. You changed the way you gave. Some of you gave more. Some of you gave creatively. You called us and you said, I see a need for this and I can't physically do it anymore because that's just not possible, can we actually do this to the church? And we say, yes, this is what we're going to do. And we're actually able to turn all of that around into ministry, into benevolence, into people who had lost their jobs, into other creative ways of taking care of families whose kids are now online but don't have devices, and on and on it goes. You see, we know that we were designed to take care of each other this way. We know that we were designed to take what I have and be good stewards, be responsible with it, be generous with it. And when that changes, I'm going to figure out how to do this well. So, guys, this is about how God made us. This is about, and I don't use this word lightly and I don't use this word as as a trademark. (laughs) This is how we're intended to thrive, this is how we're intended to flourish to be good stewards of whatever it is God has given. God did create us to faithfully care for what He has entrusted to us. And when we do, we can actually become a part of the movement of the kingdom of God here and now. Let's pray.